On this episode of Teched Out by Fullstack Academy, Jeff and I hash out security. What are some indicators that tell us what websites we can and cannot trust? And what strategies should web servers use to keep all of our personal information safe? One thing I want to talk to you about is something that I think is on everyone's mind, which is like, you know, we talked about data. Let's talk about a little bit like security. Yeah. What it means to secure data. What it, you know, you, you give your passwords to a site when you log in. How do we trust them? What are they doing with our passwords, with our credit card information, hopefully, to make sure that even if it were to show up in a printer somewhere, nobody could like find our password. Nobody could guess our password, you know? So these are some of the things that I want to talk to you about today is like, what, what can companies do? What do companies do to um, protect our data, to protect our information? Yeah, or what should companies be what doing? What should companies do? A lot right? of them, unfortunately, are not following the best practices out there, and it's a little scary. So yeah, definitely, uh, we can talk about some markers, things people can look for in order to determine whether they should trust these people. Right. I think before we dive into, um, you know, some of the the things that browsers in particular are doing, I think we should talk about like the two major forms of data hiding that um, people can use, that people can use to encrypt data or to hash data. And the main difference there is in one case, we never want to be able to retrieve that data again. So when we go for hashing data, we take some input and we run it through some function and we get out an output that is unreadable by any human eye. Therefore, it's not English. It goes in as English and it comes out as some other uh, uh, thing, some other hashed output. Um, and it's nearly impossible to go backward if you have a really good function at doing this. It's known as a hash function. Sometimes we have the opposite goal, though. Once we hash something really well, we're never going to be able to retrieve it. And we'll talk about why that's good in some cases. But the other side of things is encryption, which is I'd like to be able to hide some data, share some data, and then at some point be able to reread and see that data again. So those are the two things I really want to talk about right now. Jim. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you mentioned this word encryption. Uh, maybe we should start with what that means exactly. I know you mentioned being able to translate it into something that someone couldn't read, right? I have a message I want to send to you. It's something that's secret. I don't want anybody else to be able to read it, right? So what should I do before I send you that message in order to make sure that if somebody steals it along the way, they can't figure out what I'm trying to tell you? Sure. So I think one of the easiest uh, um, encryption functions, if you will, that, that people talk about is, is uh, the Caesar shift, named after, of course, Julius Caesar. Um, which is, which is imagine this, imagine you and I ahead of time, we agree that we're going to come up with a, a, a method to hide our messages so that when you text me, anytime you're going to say the letter A, you're going to instead send the letter B. And anytime you want to send B, you're going to send the letter C. And if you're going to send C, D, etc. right, going on. Um, and so as long as I know how you shifted each letter, I can go ahead and then take 
whatever you wrote and shift it backward so that I understand it. Okay, so this is a reversible thing, and we have to agree on it beforehand, right? We have to meet at some point or text each other and say, hey, all the letters are going to be off by one, just so you know. Exactly, and that's how encryption works. The idea is, is we agree on some kind of uh, pattern, some kind of shifting mechanism that allows us to convert that data into something that if somebody else read, they might not be able to, I'm sure it wouldn't be that hard if everything was shifted by one letter, right? Of course, a very good encryption uh, function is not going to uh, just shift everything by one letter, but this is a pretty easy example, I think, to follow. Right. Um, and so when we shift everything by one letter, we uh, agreed on this and now I can unshift it by one letter. And so I can uh, decrypt your message. Right, okay, so in one direction we're encoding it something that's hard to read in the other direction we're decoding the secret message sort of like those decoder rings that you would get in the cereal boxes yeah oh god or, uh, there was some sort of secret yeah cipher right? cipher yep that's what we're talking about here exactly ciphers. it is and it is a, that's exactly what this is um so the goal of encryption is to be able to send a message and then be able to decrypt on the other end so you mentioned how do we know if a website is secure do you know can you maybe give some people some tactics just to like on the surface, how can we tell if a website is secure? Sure. So one thing that I know to look for is in your browser, you should be visiting sites that start with HTTPS, S. right? I've heard so, of HTTP. We talked about it earlier, but yeah, S? We see a lot of stuff. You, you look in your URL bar and you'll often see like a lot of stuff before the name of the website, right? We don't just visit google.com or facebook.com. It's HTTPS colon slash slash www and it's like what in the world are all those letters? Why why do they show up before the name of the site? Right. So HTTP, uh, what does that stand for? Hypertext Transfer Protocol. Yes. Right. So this has been around for a long time since the inception of the World Wide Web, and it's basically the method that we use to communicate from a client which is our computer, our browser, to a server somewhere when we want to request access to a website or when we want to look at some cat photos or something. Right, right? of course. We use this method of communication called HTTP. You were just obsessed with cats. You yeah. were just uh, obsessed. I, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a real cat person. How's the new kitten? Oh, she's she's adorable and also sometimes a real brat. Really? So she's a cat. Is she ripping anything know? up? Uh, no, she doesn't really rip things up. She, she, she nips a little bit. No. She she likes to play by kind of hiding behind things, and when I walk around the corner, she'll like jump out and ambush me and bite me in my ankles. And I think she thinks it's mm. a lot of fun. Gotcha. My ankles don't think it's a lot of fun. So would you say that your cat nips? <laughs> my my cat <laughs> just does. Okay, all right, all right. we'll yes. scratch that from the from the final recording. Okay, stricken from the record. <laughs> So, so okay, so HTTPS versus HTTP. So HTTP, we said, is a messaging protocol that I use as a client on my web browser to send you a message to right. the server, right? And then that server sends a message back. How is this any different than HTTPS? So HTTPS is really just the same thing, except it's a secured version. Hmm. So it's using what you were just talking about, this idea of encrypting messages. So rather than just sending messages in a raw form across the internet where somebody could intercept it, right? Mm. Somebody who really knows what they're doing could grab that message, essentially just pull it out of the internet before it reaches its destination and read what might be a really sensitive message. Right. 
So, so with HTTP, the without the S, no S. Right. Um, I'm basically just sending plain text over the web, meaning anybody along the way, anyone who has access to my router, even on my own local network, my the the maybe the people in my building, maybe the people in my uh, who who work at my internet provider, anybody who's getting this message relayed along the way could just peek in at it and look at it. Absolutely, yeah. So when a message travels from you to this server somewhere, say you're trying to log into your bank account, yeah. right? And you're putting in your username and your password there. And you really don't want anybody to get access to that information, right? Right. You want this to be private and nobody should be able to access it until it gets to your bank account server. I agree. But there are a lot of little sort of intersections in this information highway of the internet along the way, right? It has to go from your laptop to your wireless router. It has to go from there to uh, some sort of DNS server, right? It has to go through all these different gateways, sort of all these different points. And this happens very quickly, of course, but it's making sort of stops along the way and being passed forward at certain points. And every one of those points can be considered a point where somebody could intercept the message. Right. You know, oftentimes people say that, you know, the internet, the way that it was built, infrastructure, um, it, the wiring itself was not built to be secure. Right. What is secure are the endpoints. And that's the only safety net we have. We can't be sure the route that something travels, but we can be sure about where it starts and where it ends. And so if you and I, both the server, maybe Google, and the code, the web page that they send me when I went to google.com that first time in my URL bar, if they sent me back how to encrypt this thing, how to encrypt my message when I go and communicate with them, how to encode on my end, now when I send it across the wire, nobody along the way will be able to understand my message. Right. And right. so everybody who's trying to view it is just viewing a nonsense text, not the, literally characters that don't make any sense. And the only person who knows how to go backward, because obviously this is more complicated than our Caesar shift, right. right, is Google, who will have the decoding tool. Yes, yes, absolutely. So you're right. It's much more sophisticated than just shifting the letters by a certain number. It's not just the Caesar cipher. That'd be way too easy for someone to crack if they did intercept the message along the way. But it's the same basic principle. We encode the message, we encrypt it in a way before sending it that only the person on the other side could possibly decode or mm -hmm. decrypt this message. And uh, what makes something a really good, like, like what, what allows something to be really good at encryption? Like, how is, how is it... Um, not decode it. Like people are always like, oh, well, you, you know, um, uh, you know, I would rather have like a physical lock instead of like this encry encryption decryption mechanism. How is this thing um, secure? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, I like that example that you brought up with a physical lock, like a physical key, right? If there's a lock somewhere, you're really only supposed to be able to get access to it if you have the key. And we have this idea of keys in encryption as well, right? You're supposed to be able to hold on to not a physical key, like it's not a little piece of mess, uh, a little piece of metal, right? It's not like an actual card with a magnetic strip on it. The key is some <laughs> sort of string, right? It's a bunch of characters uh, that 
you're only supposed to have access to. I actually want to just do some really quick math. The other day we talked about binary, right? And we said that if we I had... I love doing math. Oh, uh, we love math. <laughs> and, favorite part of the show. Oh, uh, God. Uh, it's the math segment. We should have, like, one of those, like, um, like uh, dorky, you know, like, math. And it's like, you know, <laughs> right, like the AMDJs yeah, with yeah, the soundboard. Yeah, right, yeah, with the soundboard. Right. Maybe we can, maybe we'll, we'll work that it's in here. It's math time! It's math time! <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so, so we talked about binary, and we said that for every bit of information, remember, a bit can be either on or off. We have uh, two to the amount of bits combinations, right? So, if we have one bit of information, we can store two messages. If we have two bits, we can store four messages. If we have three bits, we can store eight messages, etc. Right? Um, once this number gets into the range of like thirty-two plus, we are talking such a large number that it's actually hard to wrap your head around. The, the difficulty of producing a unique key when the output can be of 256 bits, let's say, which is two to the 256, which might not sound that large, but when you break it down, that's two to the 32nd power multiplied by itself eight times. Yeah. And the reason why that's so big is because two to the 32nd is four billion. Four billion possibilities for just two to the 32nd. So four billion multiplied by itself eight times is a number so large that if we had the world's most powerful supercomputer churning at it for like 40 times the age of the universe, I'm making that number up mm -hmm. right now, like we wouldn't even come close to even guessing what the correct combination is. Yeah, right. So it's it's exponential, right? This really powerful exponential pattern where uh, I think we've talked about the idea before where if you fold a tiny little piece of paper, right, just a thin piece of paper in half, you've doubled its thickness, right? And you ask somebody, well, if you fold something in half, I don't know, 10 times, how tall will it be? People always underestimate that, right? right. If you keep doubling it at first, it doesn't look like it's growing too quickly. But by the time you've got something that's an inch thick, one more fold is two inches, another fold is four, another fold is eight, and pretty quickly, you don't have that many folds of a piece of paper, and you've got like a skyscraper or a, you know, space elevator height stack of paper. You know, uh, this reminds me of a, a day I was defeated as a child. Um, and I went to Ridley's, believe it or not, uh, if that still exists, with uh, my parents, and there was like a sign on the wall and it was like, would you rather have like one penny a day that doubles every day or, so or a million? One penny the first day and then two pennies the next day and right, so on. Okay. Right. Yeah. This was my like eight year old understanding of it. Right. right. Or would you rather have a million dollars today? Wow. Uh, and million I, dollars. Obviously. That, that's what right? it sounds like, right? But, I don't want a penny. But, but, uh, I'm not gonna keep all those pennies. Exactly, right? Like, if you just, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the payment method, but. Yeah, but, I don't think the bank is gonna be too happy when I show up with, like, trash cans full of yeah. pennies. But by 30 days, like, you've made so much more money by just doubling. Days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. kidding. Right? Because that's like. Wow. That's like, two, I, I don't, I want to do the math. I don't want to do it. It's, it's not it's math. It's math time! <laughs> Please stop doing that. Sound bite. We're not. Um, but anyway. Okay. making it a thing. It's going to be So great. let's just summarize this section, okay? So the idea of encryption here is that, like, I want to have an agreed upon coding scheme with you. And when I send you a message, I'm going to encode via some mechanism. 
send that thing publicly so that anybody can read my message. It's like me writing an encoded message and giving it to somebody in a, on a plain piece of paper. Well, if they can't understand what I wrote, it doesn't really matter that it's on a plain piece of paper in front of you, just like the internet, right? We're gonna send that message over the internet. And you, the server, are going to know how to decode it because you and I agreed on the encoding and decoding scheme ahead of time. Right, and that's essentially what HTTPS is doing for us, right? right? We don't have to know exactly how it works behind the scenes, but it's using encryption to make sure that your message, if it is intercepted along the way, isn't going to be able to be read by some random third party who's trying to steal your information. Yeah. So the takeaway here, I think, is if you're ever sending sensitive information across the wire, if you're logging into a site with an email and password, if you're you know, sending something like your credit card information, if you don't see HTTPS on that site, if that's not what your URL bar says, if it just says HTTP, or in many browsers, if there's not a little lock that shows, yes, this site is secure, stay away. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, totally, totally, totally second that. Um, but now we have another issue. The thing is, is like this whole pattern of HTTPS assumes that the information that we are encrypting, we're actually trusting the server with this information. Right. So like now, great, nobody along the way can decrypt it. Nobody along the way can get it. But like, how do I know that Google is taking my password and like hiding it if in their database, right? Like making sure that the people at, who are working at Google who have access to the database can't read my password. Oh, right. right? Google, maybe you trust Google in the abstract, or I trust you, right? right? But if you're a company with thousands of employees and some of them have access to my secrets, maybe I don't trust everyone in that network, right? right? So um, this is where a tactic called hashing, which is also, by the way, the root of how um, uh, blockchains and cryptocurrencies work. Um, we can get into that on another, mm -hmm. another day, but here's the idea of hashing. Unlike... Um, encryption, where we want to be able to uh, take a message, encrypt it, and then be able to decrypt it later. With hashing, we're sort of just creating a signature. We don't actually care about being able to get that information back. Let me give you an example, okay? Let's use a really simple exponential function. It's math time. <laughs> Um, let's think of y equals x squared. I think that's something that may, maybe, hopefully most of our listeners can start a picture in their head, right? If x is one, y is uh, one. If x is two, y is four, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. um, so y equals x squared is this like exponential uh, curve, right? And we all start to see this in our head. The larger x gets, the faster y moves upward, right? This is a very, very, very basic hash function. It's incredibly bad, but it is a hash function. And here's why. Um, Jeff, if, if x is two, what is y? X is two, then Y is four. Okay, cool. And what if Y is nine? What is X? If Y is nine, then I guess X is three, right? Mm, see, we think that. That would be like our best case, but what else could it be? What else could it be? Oh, so are you talking about a parabola here? <laughs> I, I am. I'm talking okay. about parabola. Yeah. So it could also be negative three, I guess. Yes. Right? Both yep. of those squared give right. you nine. Exactly. And so we start to see uh, this, this potential here where, like, given x, we can always find y. But given y, we can't have a guaranteed x value. Hmm. And so if we took this concept and we made it infinitely more difficult, where the, the, the given any given x input, 
the Y output was truly unique. And given that unique Y output, we could not find the given X input. If we could come up with a mathematical scheme that does this, and there are some really, really, really good cryptographic hash functions that produce answers that are seemingly non-recreatable, meaning no given two X values will produce the same output value. Right, or it's at least very difficult to find two inputs that give you the same output. Right, right. we can't say that there's definitely not two. Right. But we've never, ever found them. And people have tried really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So if we could produce this, so what would be the benefit? Why take a message and, and hash it? And then, and then like, what, what, is that, what benefit does that provide us if we're like trying to like store sensitive information like passwords? Right, right. And one other thing that I want to really go back to here is this idea that the function is one way. If you know the output, you can't figure out what the original input was. If you have the input, then you go. You can always get the same output, right? Uh, three squared always gives you nine. Right. But the square root of nine, you don't necessarily know what that is, right? That's and exactly then, with right. hash functions, again, it's much more sophisticated. It's not like you can tell it's one of two things. You just have no idea right. what the input was, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's not being run through this function one time, but maybe 10,000 times, 100,000 times. It's, it's, it's being put through a hashing protocol so many times that it's almost unpredictable where it came from. It is truly unpredictable and it's truly unknown. Hmm. And any change to the input will produce a different, unique output. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So that's hashing, that's running hashing. things through these one-way functions that produce at least seemingly unique values, right. and, and you can't undo them. Can't undo them. It has nothing to do with hash browns. Right. It's, it has nothing to do or with... Swedish hash. So what is Swedish hash? I think it's... Oh man, it's been a long time since I've had it, but it's sort of like a potato, like a fried potato, egg, sausage dish or something. It's delicious. So we can encrypt and we can decrypt over the over the web, but now we have to trust our uh, our endpoint like Google or Facebook to actually take our data, take our password, and not um, not like store it as my password. Let's say my password is uh, password one or something like that. Password and the number one, right? It's not a great password. It's not a great password, Jeff. Uh, and but I, even though it's not a great password, we don't want someone else to be able to like know that like if it showed up on a piece of paper that that's the password that I used, right? So what they're going to do is they're going to take that thing and they're going to put it through this hash function and get some output, maybe X4, 3A, 6, 4, whatever the hell it is, right? And store that in their database instead. Okay, great. But now in the future, how do they check when I try to log in with my password? Because they didn't store a password one, in their database. They stored whatever the hash of password one was. How can they then validate that it was me when I come back to their website to try to log in again? So if you send your password, they can't just check that against whatever they've stored in their database. Right. Because right? Right. they hashed it. Correct. Right? They're, they're not actually storing your password anywhere. Is that right? Hopefully, yeah. Okay. So I guess they'd have to hash it again. That's right. So if I send my password to them again, Jeff passed the quiz. We can have a soundbite for that too. Jeff passed the quiz. Uh, uh, Matt time. So you send your password the first time when you sign up. They hash it, store the hash in the database. The next time you want to log in, you send your password again, 
And what happens then? At that point, they're going to take my password, which is, again, just in plain text because they decrypted it. And then they're going to run it through the same hash function. And what's good about hash functions is they produce the same result given the same input. So now if they hash my input and compare the hash to the hash that they have stored in their database, they can validate that it's me. Because if they had a very good hash function, right, it's very unlikely that two given Xs would produce the same output, right? right. So hashing mine and comparing my hash versus the hash that they have stored should result to the same thing. So even if they can't directly look at the two things side by side and say they're the same, they can't say this is exactly the same password because they have it in the database, they can run it through the hash function and say, oh, the output through this function is the same as what we got last time when you signed up, so it must be the same input value. You must be giving us the same password as we got when you signed up originally. That's exactly right, yes. Cool. Exactly. So um, the, the, next, the last thing I kind of want to really cover here is like, what about... Uh, you know, there's there's um, there's a list of like the most common passwords out there, right? Like that's pretty accessible to all of us. Yeah, like password one maybe. Password one. <laughs> you don't like my you don't like my password. Um, For our listeners out there, please don't use password one. Yes. That's your uh, password. Uh, yes. Please Not don't good. use or password or password one two. Yeah. Or password one two three. One two three. I, we could go on. Uh, Etc. Four. Uh, you know how to count. Um, so with this idea, like now, great. So we have a really cool hash function which produces a unique output for any given input. But there is another problem here, which is what happens if our inputs become too similar? So, you know, there's nothing stopping uh, myself from using password one on Facebook and you, you from using password one on Facebook. Even a more complicated sentence like Jeff loves giraffes, which we know is Jeff's password. Um, uh, like, like I could use that as my password as well. If enough people are using the same password, right, then all of our hashes would look exactly the same in the database. Mm. A person who's really good at math could then start to figure out what hash function was used to produce those results. Right. And yeah. you know what kind of people are really good at math. Computers. Computers, Not right. people. Not people, right? yeah. Computers are really good at doing things like running inputs through functions really, really quickly. Yeah, millions of times over and over yeah. and over and over and over. So that's that's something that I think a lot of people maybe don't quite understand about password security, right? Mm -hmm. They think it's some uh, hacker sitting at a computer somewhere in the dark who's trying to guess all these people's right. passwords, right? They're just typing furiously in. It's like, is it password one? No. Is it password two? No. No, that's not what's going to happen, right? You've got some sort of computer program that's trying, you know, thousands or even millions of passwords every second, every minute, right? You're just mashing a bunch of inputs in here and trying to match on something absolutely. in the output, right? A yep, absolutely. And so, so, so we need passwords that are not really hard for humans to guess necessarily, but really hard for computers to be able to figure out in this brute force way. Right. So let's talk about two tactics that um, servers could use to uh, do a better job at making sure that if our passwords, our hash passwords came out on a piece of paper, some hacker couldn't figure out the the hash function that was used to get those results. Sure. So the first really common method is something called salting. 
Hmm. Salting, yeah. Something um, you would put on hash browns as well. Something you'd put on hash browns. So that's um, uh, the amount of time time that we spend talking about food, Jeff, is um, <laughs> probably worrisome. They they do. We, we maintain we, a ratio here. A ratio of somewhere on like two to three of food to tech. Food to tech, yeah. I think that's that's what the people want. <sighs> Give the people what they want. <laughs> so that's that's what I always say. So salting. So here's the idea of salting, like. If, if you write password one and I write password one and we ran this both through a hash function, we would get the exact same result and therefore in the database we'd have two passwords stored with exactly the same hash. But if instead of them taking our password one and hashing that thing, what if instead for you they generated a random 16 character string and combined your password one with that random 16 said 16 characters. So like, you know, A's, B's, numbers, slashes, colons, whatever the heck it might be, mm. right? Combine that with your password one. Because that is unique, even though your password might be pretty generic, the combination of those two things are almost guaranteed to be unique. Mm. And so now what we'll do is we'll take those two, combine them together, which is unique for every single user, and hash that thing. And in our database, we'll not just store the password, but we'll also store the salt that helped us get to that password. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense because I was thinking if we have a, an idea of all the most commonly used passwords, and it's probably pretty easy to figure those out. You know, yeah. Password, I'm sure, is one of the most commonly used passwords. <laughs> so if somebody were to be able to, I don't know, get the information out of a database. And even if those passwords were hashed, they weren't stored as plain text, they're these random character strings here. Someone could maybe run some really common passwords through some of the more common hash functions and see if any of the outputs match, right? They could just say, okay, well, if I hash the word password through SHA-1, which is a really common hashing function, although not the most secure at this point, but if they ran it through that function, they could get the output and then look at all the hashes in the database that match that, and suddenly you've got matching passwords. Right. But you're saying with this salt, it adds extra randomness into the process, extra noise, so that it's not actually going to match. You yeah. have to use the salt in the hash function as well. Correct. So now if somebody, if one tactic we can do here is first of all, store the salt separately. Uh, but second, uh, in addition to this, it's like, even if you had access to the salt, you don't know how that salt is being combined with the original input, oh. right? And so so, so um, because of that, it does create extra uh, randomness and it makes it very difficult um, to actually reproduce that output. And it adds like another, it's sort of like two-factor authentication, if sure. you will, right? Yeah, it's which we should talk about too. Yeah, we should talk about two-factor. Yeah. That's, that's uh, something else that we can strongly recommend Definitely. you do. Um, but that's interesting. So you're saying you could put the salt at the beginning of the password or at the end of the password. You could sprinkle the salt in the middle. You could pepper the password. No, you can't actually pepper the password. God, Jeff. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm hungry. I'm sorry. Uh, it's like nine in the morning. It is nine. Uh, I've only had one bagel so far today. You did? How was your bagel? It was delicious. What kind of bagel, Jeff? Jeff? Are you ready? What? Guess. I hope it's like a bagel with cream cheese or something like that. It did have cream cheese, but do you know what kind of bagel? Salt. No. Yeah. You had a salt bagel? Get out of here. I did. Wow. For this lecture. For the no, purpose of this lecture. For this bagels. talk. It's totally coincidental. I just love salt you just, bagels. Oh, yeah. it's too much. Get an everything bagel then. Because it's like, then you're like, too Do much salt. salt on it? 
Sometimes I think really? it, I mean it's everything, right? That's true. It's supposed to be everything. You <laughs> yeah. name it, it's on there. Pickles. Pickles. Um, Radishes. So we talked about hashing. We talked about salting. Um, great. So that's one tactic that servers can use to to prevent people from like physically seeing it, right? Yeah. Um, but this also gets doesn't take into account like like you said, a computer can do these things very fast. I can try to put in a password. And it can, I can try it and it can say, you're wrong. And I can try to get it and it can say, you're wrong. And I can keep trying and continuing this process. So there's um, one really good, almost silly tactic that a lot of servers use to try to get people to not do this. And it's called, wait one second. Okay. Wrong password. That's it. So if a server, if you try to type a password into the server, and it just makes you wait one second. As a human being, one second is nothing, yeah. right? Takes, you can spare a second. You could spare a second. Sure. In fact, that's why often on these like pretty big name sites, logging in takes a second or two. Because what they're doing is they're placing a fake buffer. They're saying, okay, you got the password wrong, but we don't want to tell you you got it wrong right away. Because if we do and you were running an automatic, you know, trying program and try, an automatic you know trial uh um, this is a bot or if something this is a bot it's right just trying to log in as fast as it possibly can trying a whole bunch of different combinations right we don't want to tell you you're wrong right away because then the bot is just going to fire at another combination right but if we add a second or two to actually sending back the response as the server saying that you're incorrect the bot is forced to wait and because of this right to a human being, we're not going to notice a difference if we're waiting. Now you will. Now you're going to be like, oh, my God, the second that they're making me, right? Uh, but you don't really feel the difference as a human waiting one second to log in. It kind of feels normal almost. But for a bot, that's like an eternity, right? Now, instead of being able to produce, you know, billions of outputs in, 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 in a matter of like, you know, a couple of, not billions, but like millions of outputs in the order of like seconds or minutes, now you're delaying it by like human amounts of time, by like a second or two per attempt. Um, so that's one way we can do this. Right. So you're sort of throttling the bot's speed of being able to, to guess passwords. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, Just it, make it a little bit slower. That's it. And it's like it's something so I think it's I think it's quite beautiful, Jeff. I think it's quite beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's uh, it's uh, it's nice that that there is a. Like it's such a simple solution. Someone's like, I can just imagine the meeting when someone first suggested like, there's a lot of bots trying to get in. What do you think, boss? What if we just add a, like a second? Like, what if we just like, what if we just don't respond to them right away? What if we just wait a second, no matter what? And someone's like, that's brilliant. But it's so effective, yeah. which is really cool. So, why do we care so much? I guess right. What if someone gets your password? I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe if it's your email or your Twitter account or your banking password. Yeah, we care about those things, right? But if I just made a, a an app that serves up random cat photos or something, why do we care that much if a password gets out there? Do we? It it's, I mean. I, so this this should show you sort of like I mean at least myself I like I tier my own level of passwords you know what I mean like I have my passwords that I'll share with my friends I have my passwords that I'll share with my family mm -hmm. I have my passwords that I'll share with very close people in my life which I guess family uh, and then I have like the highest end passwords which are like my my email passwords which you only share with me which I only share with Jeff right um, occasionally the very highest tier. the very highest tier uh, and so because of that. 
I know for myself, I wouldn't care that much if like my cat photo password got out. Um, but generally speaking, it is a really bad practice because it shows the way that I think, the way that I mm. thought, things that could be related to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. um, it could be um, where I went to middle school or something like that, right? Mm. Like these kinds of things, like that are, um, uh, you know, are my inner working still provide some kind of knowledge about who I am, yeah, and expose sort of a way that I think. So I think that's one thing that you're getting definitely. At. So so it gives hackers some information, some sort of ammunition that maybe they could use to guess other passwords right. about you or. Yeah, who knows what they're going to do with that information. Did you ever watch the show Mr. Robot? I have. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've only watched the first season, but I thought that was a really cool thing about that. You see depictions of hackers in all these movies and TV shows, and again, they're just sitting there at this terminal typing as furiously as they possibly can, and this green text is flying by on the screen, and and you get the sense, like, that's hacking. They're just, just them and the computer. But in that show... They did a pretty good job, I thought, of showing that hacking is often actually more like social engineering. Right. It's probing around on people's social network accounts or trying to get information about them to be able to guess what their passwords might be. Right? It's not just typing a bunch of random computer code all the time. And I think that this is sort of the main danger that comes from that that Facebook leak, by the way, which is like mm. not just... Like, like, who cares if you know what I liked on Facebook at some level, right? But the thing is, is now it's you're creepy, getting, it's but... creepy. But, but, but at the end of the day, like, the big problem here is that you're gaining insight on, like, me in particular. Right. Um, and, and that is the scary part of all of this. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, human brains are not all that secure. They're pretty easy to hack a lot right, of the time. Right, right, right. We've got all these little psychological flaws. We've got a lot of legacy software that's oh, yeah. running all the time, needs to be patched, right? Who so. was it that that um, that confirmed, like, humans only have, like, human emotions are, like, built, like, you know, if you go to, like, somewhere that's, like, never been around other people, like, if you go, like, somewhere in the middle, like, of Africa or whatever, where, like, they're, like, in their own tribes and they've never interacted with, like, other civilizations or tribes like um they have all the same emotions that we do and like we produce yeah. uh like micro expressions like when we actually start to so like, you can start to really read people and uh like you said like we're not very good at hiding everything That's, yeah. yeah another thing that i think is important to point out here is the idea that well you said you have separate passwords for everything and different levels of passwords even but not everybody does that Right. Most people, myself included sometimes, especially in the past before I knew a little bit more about how this stuff worked, we can be lazy. Right. And we come up with one password that we think is pretty good. It's a little better than password one, two, three. So we just use that. And it's easy to remember. And there are so many different sites. So we just use that for everything. So maybe my cat photo app, somebody can log into your account. No big deal. But if you're using the same password on that app as you are for your email account or your bank account, then it's a huge deal, right? So it is really important for one thing, for all apps to take these security measures to not leak people's data out there, but also for users to be using different passwords everywhere. Right. Maybe using a password manager is a good way to do this, right? Simple apps that just generate passwords for you in right. the first place. You yeah. don't even have to remember anything more than a, a simple master password. Yeah, I think that's a really good tactic as well, especially because that's on your local machine, right? Like you're not trusting someone on the internet with it. It's just an app on your machine that remembers those things. Right. It's 
as much as we might trust some of these services, yeah. we don't want to trust them any more than we absolutely have to. Right. Completely agreed. But, so anyway, let's just summarize. Today we talked about two really different um, security mechanisms, one of which is encryption, which allows us to hide data in front of people. I can encrypt a message and send it in plain sight to everybody else. And as long as you're the only one who knows how to, what I did to encrypt that message, you're the only one who can decrypt that message. Right. Cool. Um, the second tactic we talked about is hashing. And hashing is a form of a signature, right? You were able to, when I sent you a password, take that thing and hash it. What's good about this is it is a unique representation of my password, but it is not my password. And that's really, really, really neat. I can take some input and always replicate with the same output by hashing it through the same function. We were able to spice up the security and create more unique hash outputs by combining common passwords with a randomly generated string known as assault, right? Um, and lastly, we were able to defer hackers uh, from our, our websites by adding just a bit of human lag time for whenever they try to enter a password. Cool. Slowing them down. Slowing them down. If you're enjoying the Teched Out podcast, we'd love for you to show your support by sharing it with your friends on social media or with your mouth words, or leaving a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks!